What's going on, everyone? Scriptwriter Steve right here. You've reached Barbecue 2 Movies. How you like this music? Yeah, guess what? You know, here on Barbecue 2 Movies, I don't want to talk barbecue. I don't want to talk movies. I don't want to talk politics today. You know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about some football. Yep, that's right, football. By the way, for all my international listeners out there, I'm not talking about the football you kick with your feet. Soccer. We call it here soccer in America. I'm talking about NFL football. All right, I'm going to turn this down here. All right, what is going on, everyone? How is everyone doing? You know, I guess we've been talking politics ever since I started this podcast. And, uh, you know, it can kind of get a little dry, uh, you know, it's been raining lately, so I haven't been barbecuing a lot lately. I've been uh, chopping wood, and I've been, I've been getting a really good workout. By the way, again, like I told you before, you know, barbecuing is kind of like one of the most manly things you can do out there because you have to look for the tree, you got to chop down the tree, you got to use a chainsaw, you have to use an axe, and then you have to burn wood with fire. And what's more manly than that? Oh, of course, you have to get the meat, you got to trim the fat off. And then you got to eat it while, while watching some football. Barbecue and football, it always goes great. Now, I know what a lot of you guys are saying out there, especially most of my audience out there, they're conservatives. And, you, and you're saying, what the hell are you doing watching the NFL? And I can sympathize with I can't defend my decision that, you know, I have a love for football. You know, I don't care for a lot of other sports out there. And I hate the social justice warrior crap they have out there. You know, and again, the kneeling, the kneeling, the kneeling, uh, and even the raising the fist during the Star Spangled Banner. Um, yeah, pisses me off. And this whole Black Lives Matter stuff, I know it's all based upon a lie or lies with an S, right? You know, the whole George Floyd thing was a lie, the, and the defund the police thing is a lie. Um, you know, Black Lives Matter stands for nothing more than just you know, a Marxist movement, and it was there basically just to get Joe Biden elected, right? It was basically there to destroy the country. And boy, did they, did a good, did, did they do a good job. And, uh, you know, but, you know, football, we were quarantined, and, you know, I just needed to watch something else on television, I mean, I was running on you know, Netflix. They don't put out that great stuff, right? And then, you know, everything on television was just COVID this and COVID that. And I couldn't just wait to just get my mind off of it, you know, and <laughs> there was football. And, you know, again, it's like when you watch a movie, you got to watch you got to watch it to the end. And, you know, I watched football, you know, and it wasn't as bad as NBA or, you know, the other like sports out there. And we got to see some really good football play. It was a really, really different because we didn't have a, I guess we didn't have um, crowds in the, in the stadium there. But it was, you know, what was really interesting about watching football is because you got to see uh, politics played out. I guess within every football st- in, in every football stadium. So, for example, when you would go to Chicago, you would see nobody in the stands. You go over there to Tampa Bay, there's people in the stands because Florida, again, they don't lock down, right? But you go to some other places like California, <laughs> California, it's nothing but lockdowns. In fact, California got so bad they kicked out San Francisco, the 49ers, their own team from their own their own little town there, and they had to go and. And they had to end up playing it over in Arizona, which is kind of crazy. So, you know, the entire politics of football, I just wish they just kick it to the side. I mean, I really don't care. I really, I just want to be entertained. And these, these football players, they have to realize, you know, they have to just do their job. And I think at the end, they really start to realize that they have to do their job. You know, the social justice warrior crap that was trending on, on, a, on everywhere on Instagram and Facebook and everywhere. They, I think they just put it to, you know, put it to a halt because at the end of the year, I didn't see much kneeling going on at all. I really didn't see any of that. You know, during the Star Spangled Banner or the Super Bowl, everyone stood. Everyone stood. So, and of course, again, if George Floyd's tragic death were a result of racism and were a result of, you know, police brutality and all of those things, I would say, hey, you know what, this is, you know, go ahead and protest, but protest in a good way. You know, but, you know protest, don't use, you know, football as a platform or, or more so the national anthem as a platform. 
And they don't, and don't forward this notion that our country is <laughs> built upon racism. You know, why can't we take a look at things in, in exact context, right? That one police officer, even if he were a white supremacist, which he's not, right? Even if he were, you know, um, killing a white, a, a black person, which he did not because he was black. And that death, again, was accidental more than likely and not even caused by his knee, just to point that out. But one cop does not represent all. And if you watch, I'll tell you this, if you watch enough forensic files out there, you'll find out there are, there are tons of bad cops out there. There are tons of bad doctors, tons of bad nurses, tons of bad, bad teachers. There are doctors who are serial killers, nurses who are serial killers. You have cops who like are like compulsive rapists. They pull over, they pull over people, women, and they rape them. And they, they started killing them. But one does not represent the all, okay? And I'm not sure why so many people think that one person or a small group represents everyone. So again, the people who are rioting over at the, at the Capitol, that small group doesn't represent all Trump supporters, right? <laughs> that represents their, those people there. They represent themselves. Anyway, I wanted to talk about football today because, you know, the, the whole no Super Bowl thing is over. Uh, just to let you know, I'm a huge, huge Eagles fan. Um, more so, I'm a Nick Foles fan. And, uh, you know, if you're not in interested in football talk, um, I'm just going to talk about Carson Wentz. And I want to talk about my Eagles and Nick Foles. Yeah, this will kind of be a sports kind of broadcast here or podcast here. And uh, if you're not, not interested in that, then you can kind of tune out. But I really want to give you my two cents because I called this... The firing of Carson Wentz, the, the, for the fact that Carson Wentz was the Eagles quarterback. I called this a long time ago that this was a bad draft pick. This was a bad choice to keep Carson Wentz on the Eagles roster and then kick Nick Foles to the curb. You know, I, I really enjoy Nick Foles. Nick Foles has some natural talent, natural ability out there. And the media, for some reason, they just hate him. They're, they, they give him the short end of the stick, or maybe they whip him, they whip him with the long side of the stick. So I want to talk about Carson Wentz versus Nick Foles. Who's better? Why don't we just talk about that? In fact, I'll label that Carson Wentz versus Nick Foles, because this has been a debate that's been going on and on and on and on. I want to settle it, or at least give you my opinion. And then, you know, you know, you can chime in and tell me how much I'm wrong. Uh, email me at scriptwritersteve.com. Um, but we'll go from there. Okay. So anyway, I'm going to get into all of that right after these messages. What is going on, everyone? This is your favorite complainer in chief, scriptwriter Steve, with a shameless plug for Dream Weddings Hawaii, a company that I just happen to own. Now we specialize in romantic, intimate beach weddings, but plan weddings of all sizes and shapes. Gala weddings, elopings, surprise vow renewal, no problemo. So if you are looking to tie the knot here in Hawaii, you better get in touch with me. Now Dream Weddings Hawaii delivers quality that is extremely affordable, but don't just take my word for it. Visit our website at dreamweddingshawaii.com and find out for yourself. That's dreamweddings with an S, that's weddings with an S, hawaii.com. So, look at our awesome photos, check out our awesome, beautiful, touching ceremony videos, then take a look at our cheap prices, which I promise you won't faint at. Now, don't forget to read our five-star reviews. Now, by the way, we also take professional family photos. So, visit our site at dreamweddingshawaii.com or just buzz me at 808-479-0685. That's 808-479-0685. All right, everyone, I'm back from that commercial break. I hope you're back. Again, I'm talking about football, so whoever came back from that commercial break, you know, wanting to hear about politics, my usual thing, or barbecue, or movies, you know, I'm sorry. It's all football today. It is Carson Wentz versus Nick Foles. That's a topic. And how do you like this music, right? Kind of romantic. <laughs> is this a romantic type of topic here? I don't think so. 
<laughs> All right. All right, everyone. Let's get to this whole topic of Carson Wentz versus Nick Foles. But uh, let me give you a quick background of, uh, I guess, my experience with football, um, well, especially with the Eagles. I've been an Eagles fan since, I think, the seventh grade. Um, I'm here in Hawaii. So here in Hawaii, we actually don't have a professional football team. And uh, usually, you know, you, you, you kind of just uh, hop on board or bandwagon with whoever's winning. I think that's what a lot of my friends did. So there was a lot of 49ers fans and a lot of Cowboys fans. Um, but I actually bandwagoned with, not really bandwagon, but hopped on the wagon with the Philadelphia Eagles. And the reason why I did that was it's a very interesting story. Um, I went on an East Coast trip with my parents and I was stuck there in the hotel room and I flipped on the television. And of course, in Philadelphia, that's where we were in this, in this East Coast trip or one of the stops. And uh, there was, a, I guess there was a little piece there on the Eagles. And there it was, Randall Cunningham was actually on the television. These are those old CRT televisions, not the flat screens. And uh, he's out there out there playing football, and this was Randall Cunningham in his prime, by the way, and uh, he is just bouncing off tackles and throwing this ball, sidearm, overhand, every every which way, and then he's bombing it from one side of the field over to the next, and I'm thinking to myself, I've never seen anyone play football like this. Again, he made football really, really exciting, and it was really cool that there was a lot of Hawaii um, college players, in fact, fact, people from Hawaii who, who were playing for the Philadelphia Eagles, and they were green, and the University of Hawaii, we were called the Rainbows at that time, and they were kind of green at that time. So I said, you know, I like this. I'm in Philadelphia, and I, I, that's going to be my team. So uh, I ended up liking Philadelphia from that time, the 7th or 8th grade. I forgot which year it was, but uh, but from there then on, I always followed them. And uh, thank God for the, the internet and, and satellite TV and all those other great things uh, because, you know, living here in Hawaii and getting news news about the Philadelphia Eagles was really tough. It was, it was really tough, especially in the non-internet days. I remember just opening up the newspaper and reading like, oh, what happened? How good did the Eagles play? Because they were rarely on TV. I mean, here in Hawaii, it was always the 49ers or Cowboys or, or, or again, or someone who, you know, anyone but the Eagles. <laughs> the Eagles were never on the television set. So, and finally, when the Eagles would be on, would be on the television set, I'm like, oh, I dropped everything. <laughs> so, anyway, that's my experience with it. Um, as far as me playing football, I did have a little taste of playing football. And I did actually, I do actually know how to throw a ball, a football pretty far, 65 yards. Um, but I won't go more into that. Like, uh, I'll, I'll keep that part of mystery. Uh, but I do know how to throw a football pretty good. And by the way, when, when we were out there playing football, I guess, uh, in the, in the, in the backyard, well, not really in the backyard, but out there in the park, usually people say, wow, they'll come up to me, say, hey, hey can you be the quarterback, the free quarterback for, for us? Cause you know, it looks like you really, you really know how to throw a football. My form is impeccable. And they'll always say, wow, you know, who trained you to throw a football? Again, I'll keep that a secret. I'll keep that. But I'm not a professional NFL player, all right? So anyway, um, now this whole thing with uh, Carson Wentz versus Nick Foles, just to let you know, full disclosure, I'm a huge Nick Foles fan. I am a huge Nick Foles fan. Um my friend Brian, he who's from Philadelphia, we, we call ourselves the faux sexuals, right? Just because it's kind of like the homosexual, right? Yeah, the faux sexual, you know, because we're, we're such a big fans of Nick Foles. When the Eagles first drafted Nick Foles, uh, this is when Andy Reid was actually actually the coach. Um, he 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 stepped he stepped in for an injured Michael Vick, and uh, he played really really well, even though we lost. He had a command of the offense, and the offense looked alive for the first time. I said, wow, the offense actually looks alive. Again, Andy Reid was, the, was the, the coach who drafted Nick Foles. How do you like that? And Nick Foles, he got drafted at the same time Russell Wilson got drafted, by the way. So, um, so this is a very, very cool thing here I'm going to be talking about here. But Carson Wentz, when they drafted him, uh, it wasn't cool. It wasn't cool to me because I thought, who was this kid? Who was this guy from North Dakota State? And when I start, started to look at his videos on, on YouTube, I said, man, this guy isn't smooth. He doesn't throw with anticipation. Um, he has a strong arm, but he's tall. But is he really that good? 
Is he really, really, really that good? So um, Carson Wentz, he got his he got, when he came to the Eagles. There was a big hype around him again because they compared him to Ben Roethlisberger. They said he's big as Ben, except more mobile. And his arm, he had a he had a can he still does have a cannon of an arm. I mean, he can actually throw this football on a rope like forty or fifty yards. I mean, it is it is amazing. I mean, he's six foot five, you know, mid two hundred pounds, and uh, he is just like, I mean, he has this gun on him. Uh, but one thing really rubbed me the wrong way because um, he actually wears this this um, arm protector on his left hand. I think it's left. I think it was on his left hand. And so they asked him, why do you wear that on your left, your left arm? Not left hand, left arm. And he said, it's to look cool. That's it. It had no functionality other than to look cool. So he was more concerned about looking cool than actually playing well. I said, okay, that, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way because I want a, I want a person who's more, you know, do the right thing and do the right thing and uh, not be all about image, right? I said, no, maybe I'll, maybe I'll just give him the pass. But, you know, he said he's a nice Christian guy and everything like that. I said, okay, fine. But image apparently to Carson Wentz means a lot. Now, let's just, I'm going to circle back to that later on. So anyway, the first year of Carson Wentz, uh, it doesn't go too well. Um, he he he, he, ste- he steps in. He plays like a rookie. We lose most of our games. But the second year, he plays basically lights out, and uh, he he gets injured there. But that year, he he goes to the we we go to the Super Bowl and we win it with the backup Nick Foles. And a lot of people are saying, "Wow, you know if if the backup can do it, and Carson Wentz is the is the greater of the two then Carson Wentz can actually win three or four, you know, Super Bowls. And, and I, here I am on the message board in Philadelphia, and, and on Philadelphia Eagles message board, I said, no, 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 hold on. You know, Carson Wentz is different, and he's not that great. He's really, really not that great. He doesn't have the poise of Nick Foles. He can't throw the deep ball with accuracy like Nick Foles. He doesn't throw with anticipation like Nick Foles. Um, but again, the media there in Philadelphia and the fans – are just for some reason there was so much anti they were anti Nick Foles and they they wanted to believe in the hype that they got this you know this uh, like a Patrick Mahomes type of character which was Carson Wentz so anyway you know for me when I took a look at that 2017 uh, I guess uh, quote unquote so called MVP season of Carson Wentz this is the year the Eagles went to the Super Bowl you know they, they said well he was on his way to win the MVP. But people, they only take a look at the numbers, the, the numbers of wins and the numbers of losses. And of course, he won more than he lost that one year. But if you take a, a dive into um, the details of those numbers, you'll find out something much more. So here, here's something very interesting, okay? So hold on a second. I got to get my notes out here in front of me. Okay, so Carson Wentz in that year, 2017, his wins were against the Redskins, easy team, the Giants, a very easy easy team, the Rams. This is when the Rams had um, uh, um, Goff. Right? Goff was the quarterback, but uh, the, the coach was Fisher. And uh, Fisher is a horrible, uh, Jeff Fisher is a horrible coach. So the Rams actually sucked back then. Okay, The Cardinals, um, the Panthers, okay, the Panthers sucked, Cardinals sucked. Again, the, again, that the, the Washington Redskins, again, they played the Washington Redskins. They sucked back then. The 49ers, they sucked. Um, again, they, they didn't have Garoppolo at this time. Uh, they were in search for a quarterback at this time. The Broncos had no quarterback. Uh, the Cowboys, they really sucked. Okay, this is before, this is, this is uh, uh, I think, um, pre-Dak, pre-Dak Prescott, okay? And then the Bears, which they basically were not that good. Now, now um, this is with Bears when Mitchell Trubisky was pretty crappy. I mean, he's still pretty crappy. So these are the wins that Carson Wentz, these, these are the teams that Carson Wentz won against. They're not much. The Redskins, Giants, Rams, Cardinals, Panthers, Washington, uh, Washington Redskins again, 49ers, Broncos, Cowboys, and Bears. They, they lost against the Chiefs, and the Seahawks. 
and the Chiefs were actually very good at that at that time. Uh, they were always a good team under under Andy Reid, and the quarterback back then, I think, who was it? Who was uh, the guy who plays for Washington right now? Uh, shoot, I forgot his name. The guy who broke his leg. But anyway, Seahawks. That's that's Russell Wilson, right? Uh, but again, the Chiefs and the Seahawks. They were very, very. They were very good teams, and Wentz lost against those teams. Okay, the Rams. A lot of reporters count the Rams as a, as a win for Carson Wentz, but that's the game that Carson Wentz actually got injured, and uh, well, he, he he tore his ACL. And when he, he, he handed the ball, he handed the helm over to Foles, um, Foles actually, uh, he, he was, the, the Eagles were actually losing at that time. So Foles had, had to actually bring them back from the loss. And Foles won that game for the Eagles. But then because Carson Wentz started that game, the writers, you know, these very honest writers, <laughs> they're just like political writers. They gave the credit of the win to Carson Wentz. And they still do, by the way, which is so weird, okay? So you, we all know that the rest of the history of, of that year, of 2017, Foles won the rest of the games and then also won the Super Bowl and became the Super Bowl MVP, all right? But again, Foles, though, he took over and won against much more difficult teams. Now, in 2018... Uh, Carson Wentz returned. He um, he beat the Colts, which were a they were a semi good team back then. Then he beat the Giants, which were a crappy team. The Jaguars, which were a crappy team. The Giants again, another crappy team, and then the Redskins, which were a crappy team. That's it. And after that, he was injured again. So those were his wins for 2018. Now in 20, and then Foles came in and he won the rest of the games, and then and then uh, got us into the playoffs, <laughs> and then. Uh, and then, again, and then he, he almost took us all the way to the NFC Championship. If it weren't for a drop pass that went straight through Elshon Jeffrey's hands, it was a perfect pass that that Nick Foles had thrown to Elshon Jeffrey, and it went straight through his hands. How do you like that? So in 2019, Nick Foles, um, 2019 Carson Wentz starts again. So who does he? Who, here's his wins again: Washington Redskins. Okay, they, they're crappy. He won against the Packers, Packers, which was a good team, but they ran it mostly because they just ran the ball. Then he won the Jets, the Bills. Bills back then were crappy. Bears, still crappy. Giants, crappy. Redskins, crappy. Cowboys, they were so, somewhat good. And then against the Giants. That's it. Those were all of his wins in 2019. Now, in 2020, he just won against the 49ers, the Giants, and the Cowboys. So what does this tell you? He only wins, for the most part, against crappy teams. The good teams, he actually loses. This guy is not clutch at all. You know, for some reason, he crumbles under the pressure. He crumbles when when the going gets tough. And if you watch um, his old college football games, the same things happen. I mean, during lockdown, I was watching North Dakota State uh, old college games. And I said, wow, I, I want to watch Carson Wentz when he was younger in North Dakota State. And he crumbles. He cracks when, when the going gets tough. And then the running game you know, picks up. And then again, at the end, he gets a credit for the win. So is Carson Wentz all that he's cracked up to be? I don't think so. And it just so happened that year in 2017, the reason why we actually had such an easy, easy schedule filled with, filled with cupcake after cupcake after cupcake um, is because in 2016, we lost most of our games with Carson Wentz at the helm. So again, <laughs> he's, not, he's not what he was. Uh, I guess he's not what, what the, all the analysts and all the sports writers had professed him to be. Not even close. And again, again, now, why does he do this? Why is he so crappy? Like for me, I don't think he throws with anticipation. He doesn't know how to actually gauge a ball. To see when you throw, when you throw, um, it, I guess a football. When you're, when you're throwing in your backyard, you're just throwing throwing it, you know, from you you to your brother or you to your your father, and you're just staying in one place. But when you're throwing the ball, 
I guess to someone who, who can run like a 4.5 or a 4.4, you know, 40, you have to throw, or anyone actually, you have to throw the ball where they're going to be, you know, and um, you have to throw the ball where they're going to be, or you have to lead, lead them where you want, to, where, where, where you want them to be away from the, the cornerback or the DBs or the linebackers or the safeties. And you have to lead them into a, an area where they won't, where they'll be open and won't get killed. Um, and this is what Carson Wentz can't do. He would, he, he, he actually needs his, um, receivers to stay still and he, then he can bullet the ball to them. If you're asking him to throw like a 50 yard, what they call a nine route or like a fade out, it's very, very hard for him to gauge the ball to, you know, so this receiver will catch the ball in stride. You know, crossing routes are very hard for him to hit, hit, hit the receiver in stride. Um, He'll actually throw like a lot of a lot of deep outs. Um, let's see, for example, I try to explain that well. If you throw, if you run the yard, if you run, if a, if a receiver runs uh, ten or fifteen yards down the field and then breaks in toward and runs toward the um, the, the the field goal post, right? They, they basically call it called deep post. He has a very hard time hitting that receiver in stride. A very, very, very hard time because he can't gauge where the ball, where the receiver is going to be and where to throw that ball where the receiver is going to be in about two or three seconds because that's how long the ball will hang in the air. So again, it's kind of like when you throw the football, when you say it's anticipation, the quarterback is kind of thinking, it's kind of like he has to and kind of be like a, I guess, a psychic when it comes to like a, I guess, placing the football in the right place. You're hoping and you're predicting that this is where the receiver should be or where you should lead them. And again, a lot of times when you when you look at football or you look at the NFL, you, a lot of times a quarterback is literally leading the receiver to a place where he, he needs to be. And the receiver is pretty much trusting that, that the quarterback will not lead them into danger and where he'll get blown up by, you know, a linebacker or a safety or leading him to a place where he can catch the ball a lot easier or leading him to a, to a place where he, he can actually at least make a play on the ball. You know, Carson Wentz doesn't have that. And I'm not sure if he can really teach it, to be honest. I mean, I, I've tried to teach, you know, a lot of um, people, a lot of kids, you know, how to throw a football and how to actually anticipate, how to throw, you know, again, how to throw it in these little windows. And you have to, you have to kind of just predict where, you know, people can kind of just, you know, you have to kind of predict where the DBs and the safeties are going to be and where your receiver is going to be. And it's all educated guessing. It really is. And I, I hate to say this, you either have it or you don't. <laughs> so... That's the thing. Carson Wentz doesn't have that. He really, really doesn't have that. And, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes has it. You know, Drew Brees has it. Dak Prescott has it somewhat. I don't think he really has it. Um, uh, uh, Deshaun Watson actually has it. And Nick Foles, by the way, has that. You know, he, he can throw these balls with, you know, anticipation. So, again, that's why I think Carson Wentz isn't that great. Now, another reason why I don't think Carson Wentz is that great is because he only knows how to throw one type of ball. He only knows how to throw a bullet. He doesn't know how to throw, uh, you know, a touch pass, a really beautiful touch pass. He, he doesn't know how to throw a nice, a great, a really good sidearm. Um, he doesn't know how to throw off balance. Uh, he, he doesn't know how to throw, um, he, he doesn't know how to juke or pump fake and then actually throw the ball downfield. And he doesn't know how to, you know, you know, um, try to, Try to like uh, look off safeties and all. He doesn't really look off safeties. He doesn't, he doesn't doesn't know how to pump pump the ball left and then throw to the right. It's very simple, pop Warner Warner or like high school type of mentality football where you where you keep your um your eyes straight. You you hold the safety with your helmet, but you move your eyes to the right or left without moving your helmet. You know. If you ever take a look at a helmet, before they used to have a stripe, they went straight down the middle of your helmet. And what you want to do is that the safety, they can't read your eyes, right? Because they're too far away. But they can read your helmet. So what you always want to do, it's a really interesting thing when you play quarterback, is that when you look off the safety, a lot of times you'll look left 
and that stripe will actually be pointing left, but your eyes will be pointing right. So it's kind of like almost kung fu. So you can like look left and look right, and then you throw and you say, okay, you, this receiver's running open. He's getting he's getting past the corner. He's beating the corner, and all of a sudden that safety who's who's providing protection over that wide out the wide out who's on the right. He starts running left because your helmet is pointing left, but your eyes are looking right. <laughs> so, and then you, you, then all of a sudden you, you just have to take, take a step back and then, you know, t- take a step back, push off the back foot, and then just basically launch that ball far out there. And you're hoping that the, the safety now, who now knows, sees the ball flying through the air, cannot make it over to where your ball is eventually going to land. So you have to throw it beyond the reach of the safety and in, and perfect timing with the receiver who has just burned the corner. That's anticipation right there. Now, I could do that. I'm not saying I'm better than Carson Wentz, but I could throw, I swear I could throw a better ball than Carson, a, a better deep ball than Carson Wentz. <laughs> Carson Wentz, though, he couldn't do that. And he's an NFL football player. I, I just couldn't understand it. So again, he he only knows how to throw. For Carson Wentz to to, to to throw, what he'll have to do is he'll have to have, say for example, the same wideout. Is he runs a he runs a comeback route, maybe a maybe a ten yard comeback, right? And then he'll throw he'll throw the ball as hard as he can to get that ball as hard as he can to that wideout before that corner can actually jump the route. And he, and what he's doing is he's just muscling that ball ball in there. Now, on, on top of that, he's not even throwing with that with anticipation because the correct way to throw a comeback is to actually throw the ball before the receiver actually um, turn makes a turn. So you actually have to let go of the ball while the back of the um, the the receiver's numbers are actually to you. I'm getting a little nerdy on this guy. I'm sorry, guys, if you're if you're like you know kind of checking out now. But this is my football nerd talk right here. So, <laughs> but I didn't really want to go down that route, but my brain is just taking me down that route. So, so um, anyway, that's the problem with uh, you know Carson Wentz. Now, another problem with that happens is, is his pocket presence. Uh, now, I'm not sure if any of you ever took boxing before, uh, but. Say, for example, if you ever watch Mike Tyson box, and, and, uh, and, and here's the thing, I'll, I'll just really say Mike Tyson, but when, when you learn how to box, there, there are two moves you, you kind of want to learn how to do. It's called bobbing and weaving, all right? And uh, bobbing is kind of like putting your head up and down, and weaving is kind of like moving left and right, just to, just to make it very simple. Now, when a person throws a punch at you, all you have to do is move just a little to the right or a little to the left or a little Barbara up and down. You don't have to move really out of the way. We're talking maybe six inches, maybe a foot at the most, right? You're not moving, you know, five feet, 10 feet. You're not moving your stance a lot of times. You're just bobbing and weaving. You're letting these punches fly straight past your ear. And a lot of that is kind of precognition. It's kind of like you have a spidey sense. When you actually, when you box, you kind of, have this sense that, okay, I have a feeling the punch is going to come. It's not a matter of that you see it coming. You say, I see it. It's going to come right about now. If you actually see it coming, it's too late. You can't move out of the way. So you're, it's kind of like, again, precognition, spidey sense, especially when I, and again, I have some boxing background for you. I won't get into that. So when you're, when you're in the pocket, you're in this, you're in this pocket, you kind of have this spidey sense. You kind of, you're not really looking at the line, but you kind of have this feeling that, okay, the right tackle, the, the right tackle, the left tackle, I, I feel that pressure here coming in here, coming, uh, coming next to me. So I have to step up. You don't have to step up a lot. You just maybe have to shuffle just maybe about, maybe about three feet or not even that. Just a, just a little bit. So, so that, that, so that the, the tackles can lead the edges around you. They'll just overshoot you by a mile, right? And then, um, but you have to kind of sense this. Now, if they do a spin move, right, then they'll come straight into you and then you have to kind of, you you kind of have to empty the pocket up. But again, you can't really look at the tackles. You have to be looking downfield and you have to feel all this pressure. The only place where you can't look, where you have to have complete faith is basically the the center and the two guards. You have to depend on them that they actually can um, hold that pocket, the front edge of the pocket. If the front part of the pocket actually collapses, you're in a really a lot of danger because you can't step up into the pocket. But um, if that center and the two guards can hold the front part of the pocket, it, all you have to do is worry about the tackles and then, and then worry about the blitzes. 
But then when you see the blitzes, if you anticipate the blitz, you just have to throw where the blitz is coming from. Again, but what Carson Wentz does is he overreacts in the pocket. So all of a sudden, if the tackle starts to, if he sees someone blitzing on him, and then he won't, he won't actually, um, he, what he'll do immediately is that he'll start running out of the pocket. And he won't have any faith that his running back will pick up that blitzer. Or he won't have any faith to actually throw in the area of that, of that blitzer where it, it just got vacated. Because usually when somebody blitzes, if you see, if you, if you're back there and you're calling out all your line protections and then all of a sudden you, you say, you actually see someone who's, who may blitz, right? But you don't want to let them know. You, you're really anticipating this. You studied your film and you see them at, that he's actually blitzing. You know for a fact that maybe that crossing route right there, because the linebacker's blitzing, is going to be wide open unless the DB drops back. So all you have to do is watch if that person drops, if that blitzer comes in and the DB drops, if the, if the defensive end drops back, that's all you have to look for. If the defensive end doesn't drop back, hey, you got an easy, easy crossing pattern with a, you, you just have to throw, uh, um, throw it to the crosser. That's it. But again, he doesn't understand this. What he, what Carson Wentz does is that he sees that blitzer coming. He's not going to throw it to the, that vacant area. He is going to get out of that pocket and just run. That's his first reaction. And he does that all the time. And he doesn't just do these little small movements like, you know, like how Tom Brady, like Tom Brady is a genius at this. Hey, Tom Brady, he probably, he probably has the best pocket presence out of any quarterback I've seen. And he just moves an inch forward, an inch back, or maybe a few feet forward, a few, and he'll nudge his shoulder out there, and they'll, they'll miss him. I mean, he's literally just dodging bullets by just moving just an inch sometimes. <laughs> and he's, and again, he's not really a statue back there, but he's not really moving all around. You don't have to move around like Lamar Jackson or like Kyler Murray. You know, Kyler Murray is like a really good example. He just overreacts and just runs and runs and runs, right? But again, that type of things, the minute you start running, the field actually narrows. So all of a sudden, instead of having looking downfield and seeing four wide receivers run patterns, you're only going to be looking for one person. That's really what it comes down to. All right. So again, that's my that's my three points right here. He uh, with Carson Wentz, he doesn't throw with anticipation. He only knows how to throw one type of ball, and he over he overreacts in the pocket. Another big thing is that he doesn't seem to be that great of a leader. You know, and he and. <laughs> You know, when it comes down to it, he's overreacting even on the sideline. When they're down there and he's losing, he's out there throwing his helmet. You know, I, I remember him watching, and this is when during his, I think his, um, I think his MVP year, he's out there slamming his helmet on the ground. Or, or was it the, the 2018? I think it was the, 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 the 2018 year. He was slamming his helmet on the ground uh, when, when they're losing against the Saints. You know, you know he, he didn't want to be, um, uh, you know, he wasn't talking to his team. He was just horrible. That's not what a leader does. <laughs> so, did the Colts get a good uh, quarterback? Well, I don't think so. I think they got ripped off. I, I really do. I really do. Even though they traded a third, a third round pick, which is nothing, but they're, you know, that's a real big cap hit. I don't think he's that great. I really don't. And I think he's going he's gonna to fail very much over there in the Colts, but we'll see. You know, I do hope for the best for him. Okay, so now back to now, going over to Nick Foles, okay? Nick Foles, I think, has been the most underrated football player of all time. And I think a lot of coaches have ridden his coattails because, again, the, the, the narrative is that Nick Foles isn't that great. He's the greatest backup of all time, um, but he's really not that great of a football player. And it was his coaches... And everyone around him that actually made him good. That's the narrative. That's really, really the, the narrative. Um, I don't know how that's. I don't know how that's possible. So Nick Foles, um, just to go back into, I guess his, um, I think his 2012 season. Uh, this is where the, the year that he actually uh, threw for. Um, I think he threw for I think 20, 27 touchdowns and, and two interceptions that year. But this is, this is during Chip Kelly's rookie year. Chip Kelly being the, the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles, and he came from the Oregon Ducks. He's basically the creator of the RPO, the run-pass option. Now, he came to the Eagles, 
and Michael Vick. The Eagles actually had Michael Vick. Now, Michael Vick was just coming off a career. I mean, he was doing a career year over over at the Philadelphia Eagles. He was one year removed from that. But this is Michael Vick. Michael Vick is electric. He could still run a 4-4. He could still throw an 80-yard bomb. I mean, this guy is great. Um, the first game of, of uh, Chip Kelly's career as an Eagle, the Eagles just ran up the score on the Redskins. And it looked as though, man, this is going to be great. This is going to be incredible. I mean, this is a, I mean, you know, you know the, the NFL, they weren't really ready for what Chip Kelly had to give them. But then, in the next couple games, the Eagles didn't score that many points. In fact, they, they, they couldn't win. Uh, or the, the offense looked anemic. It looked horrible. And then Michael Vick got hurt. Nick Foe stepped in, and all of a sudden, this RPO offense, uh, again, which, which was being run by Nick Foles, <laughs> took off. And Nick Foles, he can't run a 4-4, 40, 40. You know, he doesn't have as strong as arm as uh, Michael Vick. But man, did he make that, off, um, that, that, uh, that RPO offense sink. And by the end of that year, again, he threw 27 touchdowns and two, and two interceptions. Amazing. He went to the Pro Bowl that year. They went to the playoffs, and he played really, really well in the playoffs. And it was the defense that lost the game for them. But they would have won that if the defense would have just held on. They just lost by a field goal. Uh, but Nick Foles had brought them back, got them the lead, and then Drew Brees came back and got, them, got his team into field goal position, and they kicked the winning field goal as the time expired. That's how he lost that playoff game. Could you imagine that, right? Now, the next year, uh, you know, Nick Foles still won. He wasn't as crisp because this is when Chip Kelly started getting rid of all of the talent. He got rid of Deshaun Jackson. He got rid of, rid of LaShawn McCoy. How do you like that? So Nick Foles was, was without a lot of his weapons. And, uh, and that, and the following year, Chip Kelly got rid of Nick Foles. So it wasn't because he wasn't, you know, again, playing well. Chip Kelly was just getting rid of people. But anyway, Nick Foles could throw, again, the reason why Chip Kelly looked good was because Nick Foles made, made it all, made them look really, really good. These, these, um, now when he went to the Rams, he couldn't do much there because that's Jeff Fisher. And after, after that, Nick Foles thought about retiring. But then when he went over as a backup to, to Kansas City and Andy, Re- Andy Reid was there, when, um, when Nick Foles took over, when, uh, when, when that quarterback got injured, shoot, I still can't re- remember his name, Alex Smith. There you go, Alex Smith. Uh, Nick Foles played really, really well. In fact, he threw for 300 yards and a couple, and a couple of touchdowns. Um, but again, Alex Smith came back and actually, you know, you know, was, was a starter. And Andy Reid said, hey, you, why don't you be a starter? Then Nick Foles went over to the Eagles, and then he won a Super Bowl. All right? That's it right there. So here's the thing. Here's what really bugs me now. When, when, a, lot of, when a lot of people talk about Nick Foles, they still, they'll always say, well, this, you know, this uh, quarterback here, quarterback ABC or Trevor Lawrence or wh- whoever it is who's coming up, they, they even say it about Carson Wentz, they have a higher ceiling. Now, this is right after Nick Foles won the Super Bowl, right? Now, Nick Foles, he was, uh, if, if you take a look at his, um, his stats, here, here they are. Again, he threw 27 touchdowns and, and two interceptions uh, in, in, a, in a single season, but again, he didn't play that whole season. Right, because Michael Vick was actually at the helm for the beginning of the season. But get this, he stole the job from Michael Vick. He stole the job from Michael Vick. You know, th- he stole the job from Michael Vick in an RPO offense. How do you like that? Well, then he went to the Pro Bowl in the 2013. He scored seven touchdowns in one game, more so in three quarters. Chip Kelly pulled Nick Foles after three quarters because he said that he didn't want Nick Foles to shatter the record because he didn't want um, that to distract the team. So again, Nick Foles could have got nine touchdowns because his backup came in there and scored two more touchdowns. So he could have got nine touchdowns in one game. On, On top of that, he is the current, you know, again, Super Bowl MVP quarterback of the 2017 season, and he's again a Super Bowl champion. 
So what is a higher ceiling than that? If you if you say this quarterback out there has a higher ceiling than Nick Foles, well, that quarterback has to throw more more than seven touchdowns in one game, more so in three quarters. You know, Patrick Mahomes still didn't get that, right? He has to win a Super Bowl. He has to have 27 consecutive pass completions. None of them so far can do that. You know, Nick Foles went over to the Jaguars after, and people said, oh, Nick Foles is going to turn the Jaguars into a Super Bowl contender. Well, they had no one there. They had a crappy coach. They didn't even have a good line. Now, we saw what happens when you don't have a good line. The Chiefs had a horrible line. Those two tackles were rookie tackles, and they were starting over there at the Super Bowl against some two, two very good Pro Bowl, Pro Bowl ends, right? Pro Bowl edge rushers. And the tackles, <laughs> they couldn't handle them. And Patrick Mahomes was running with his, uh, for his life almost on every single play. And they didn't even score a touchdown in the Super Bowl. So you need a good line. Even if you're, even if you're Patrick Mahomes and you have Tyreek Hill and you have Jason Kelsey out there, it all starts with a line. And where is Nick Foles in, in Jacksonville? He did not have a line. And in Chicago, he has no line. What else do you need? You need wide receivers to get separation, right? Every good quarterback out there, every good quarterback out there had a good receiver. Even Tom Brady had Randy Moss and he had Gronkowski, right? Or he had, uh, or, or he had Amendola. All these guys, right? Troy Aikman had Michael Irvin. And then he had a good running game too, right? He had, he had uh, uh, Emmett Smith. You know, uh, Joe Montana had Jerry Rice, you have to have a good line. You know, if you have to have a good running game, you have to have a, have a, have a good wide receiver and a good tight end. Again, Troy Aikman had Gene Novacek. You know, it's never just about one person. But again, for some reason, these writers are saying, oh, Nick Foles can't do it in this team. When Nick Foles, by the way, they left the Jaguars, they're still crappy. They're still, in fact, they're worse off. And then, and the guy who they who they got rid of Nick Nick Foles for it was Gard, Gardner Minshew. He didn't even end up starting that entire year because they found out he wasn't that good, right? They got rid of Nick Foles for Gardner Minshew, and then Gardner Minshew didn't even play half the season. How do you like that? Now they have now they have um, Nick Foles over there in Chicago. Again, they don't have a good line. Their wide receivers they really aren't that good, um, and their running game is not that good. So, but if you just fix the line, if you just fix the line, Nick Foles can get, can play a lot better because he was getting sacked as soon as he was hiking the ball. And he's not like Patrick Mahomes where he can run around. So again, we, in order to be very fair to Nick Foles is that you have to get a good line around him. It all starts with the line. That's what it starts from. And if you can have a good line and you have a good running game and you have wide receivers who can get separation, Nick Foles can throw them the ball. That was proven. Now, I want you to know, no, I want you to look back. If you have the time, go on YouTube and look back at the, at the football game, at the, at the Super Bowl football game, or even the Vikings NFC Championship game. Look at the throws that Nick Foles is doing. He is throwing, laying in dimes, like 40 yard, 50 yard dimes, only where the receiver can catch it. The, the, he throws, to my, in my opinion, the greatest deep, deep ball that I've ever seen. I mean, it drops in there right down the chimney. You know, there are balls in there that say, wow, that's a beautiful throw. I don't know how he threw that. <laughs> no, no other quarterback can throw those balls. And again, Google, Google, Google the, 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 the Super Bowl that he was in, the 2016 Super Bowl. No, the 2017 Super Bowl. And you'll see some incredible throws out there. Especially, especially the deep passes. You don't see Patrick Mahomes. You don't see Brady. You don't, you don't see a lot of, even Aaron Rodgers throwing balls like that. So here's, here's my prediction. Nick Foles, wherever he goes, if he has a line and he has at least, you know, again, a good running game and a good wide receiver, good tight end, hopefully, he's going to light up the scoreboard. No doubt about it. No doubt about it. You know, he will just light it up, like how he, how he lit up the, the Super Bowl, how he lit up the Vikings. This guy's capable of doing that, doing that. Anyway, that's about it for my podcast for, for today. You know, it's up to you. I just laid out the evidence. Who is greater, Carson Wentz or Nick Foles? And by the way, 
those I, I didn't go into the details of the losses for Nick Foles or the wins of Nick Foles because those were all, all of his wins are against much better teams. And right now, he's on crappy teams that they don't have a good line, a good wide receiver, or a good running game. But And the Eagles, to be honest, they're not very far away from actually being a Super Bowl contender because they actually have... They actually have good receivers, a good line. Even though, even here, here's the thing. I know I was going to say goodbye. The Eagles have a good line. They actually have a good line. They actually drafted some really, really good linemen. Uh, they have a, they have a, t- a left tackle over there called Jordan Mailata, uh, who's just like a phenom. Uh, he is like a, I mean, he, he's what they hope Carson Wentz would be. But he, he is this young guy, 23 years old. Um, <laughs> he's from Samoa. I think he's still from Samoa. Yeah, yeah, he, he, he's from Samoa. And he, um, he was in, in the National Rug, Rugby League. He's six foot eight, 300, 346 pounds. They only signed him for uh, $89,000. And uh, only $89,000 is actually guaranteed. He's on a four-year contract, $2.5 million. Really, really, really cheap. And get this. You know, they're keeping him around. They could have cut him any time uh, for, you know, three years ago. But this guy has outperformed. He stepped in for um, Jason Peters this year, and they, they didn't get one sack on him after he got his legs. This guy can move. He is really strong. Um, I think he'll become one of the best left tackles in the NFL. Jordan Mailata. And uh, you know, Lane Johnson on the right side, and then we have Jason Kelsey in the front. And we've got some pretty good guards too. So, you know, Hurts may actually be pretty darn good. You know, and he may, he may have a good line to operate from. Or whoever's back there. Anyway, I will uh, end the podcast there and uh, just leave this up to you whether or not you think Carson Wentz is greater than Nick Foles. But all I can say right now is that Carson Wentz did not win a Super Bowl yet and he's not living up to his hype. All right, guys, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Hey, I hope you like my podcast. If you do, Don't forget, you can subscribe to me on any of the podcast platforms out there. Just look for Barbecue 2 Movies.